Hello, Eugenie here. So today we speak with Luke Norland. He is an innovative UK homeopath and international teacher who was totally immersed in the homeopathic way of life since before he was born, growing up with the School of Homeopathy, which was founded by his father, Misha Norland, in 1981. He is also, also the author of Animalia and Thematic Repertory, and he has also edited several provings, including Coleopus Didactylus, and I have probably completely murdered that name, <laughs> but basically it is a remedy made from the two-toed sloth, and you'll find out a bit more about what a proving is in this episode. So Luke first studied classical music in London, but his career path eventually brought him back to his roots in the healing arts. He is particularly interested in the active listening role a homeopath has, and he likes to provide a space for people to really tell their truth and explore themselves free from any prejudice. So since he completed his diploma in holistic massage in 2010, Luke then went on to train in sports and Thai massage, and he has been treating patients for a variety of health conditions for over 10 years. Luke has also played the French horn since the age of 10, and he sees music as having many parallels with the healing arts, most notably the sensitivity and awareness to tune in, the ability to learn and perfect techniques, recognize patterns, and to maintain professional performance standards. His experience working as a chef has given him an enthusiasm for understanding nutrition and the importance of digestion in maintaining health, while his work as a massage therapist gives him excellent grounding in all kinds of musculoskeletal complaints. You really couldn't ask for a more well-rounded skill set in any practitioner. And as a side note, he's also a lovely person. He has helped me so much in the last couple of years when I get stuck with our computer repertory, which is what we use to find our symptoms in. And um, yeah, he's so generous. I notice in our in our international online groups, he's always helping everyone out with finding remedies. He really has a great skill for that. He's also a lovely person because I messed up our time zones and I was an hour late for our appointments thinking that I was totally on time. And poor Luke had another appointment to rush off to, but you know, he's still managed to take the time out of his day to speak with me so if the 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 interview sounds a bit rushed it's because poor Luke had to rush off and um, you know we're definitely going to have to do round two at some stage Luke because you have so much to offer to the world and so lovely to listen to you thank you so much and I hope you all enjoy this episode welcome to the homeopathy hangout podcast where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world and now your host Eugenie Kruger Hello, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangouts. Today, we are hanging out with homeopath Luke Norland, all the way from the UK. Welcome, Luke. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) It's a pleasure. So I think most of us in the homeopathy world will know how you were introduced to homeopathy, but for those uh, listeners from the general public that's listening to this podcast, can you tell us how you first discovered homeopathy? Sure, sure. Yeah, so... um... I guess it's quite a different uh, route to a lot of people because, you know, you talk to people about how they got into homeopathy and often they tried everything else and then they tried homeopathy for an ailment that uh, wouldn't go away. And then they were so you know impressed that they were taken to the, to the path of learning homeopathy too. So we have a, an acronym for that. It's called TEETH. Tried everything <laughs> else. Try homeopathy. <laughs> I've never <laughs> heard that one before. <laughs> yeah. You see a lot of that. I'm sure you do too. Yeah, definitely. But, um, I was I was born into it essentially. Um, my dad is a homeopath. Mm-hmm. He's he's kind of retired now. He still uh, has his old patients, but he's not mm-hmm. not seeing new patients anymore. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's like Obi Wan Kenobi, and I suppose he introduced me to homeopathy from a young age. And you know, I didn't know really what it was to go to the doctors 
because I didn't go until, well, I obviously did go, but not, I couldn't remember because I was too young. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only went to the hospital when I, you know, dislocated my elbow and, um, and I really needed them then. But apart from that, um, yeah, my dad treated me um, homeopathically and I had a lot of warts as a kid. I had warts all over my thumb and on my eyelids and uh, it took him a while because it's not so easy treating people you know but eventually pulse tiller cured all the warts I say cured my body cured the warts mm-hmm. but it needed that the introduction of a remedy so I always had homeopathy and so at school people were like what does your dad do and it's like oh he's a he's a homeopath and they're like what's that mate is that a gay serial killer or something <laughs> 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 homeopsychopath what's that um because yeah, that's the Devon accent. I suppose you might know of it from uh, Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I actually always laugh because yeah. uh, Laurel Chitin's movie, Just One Drop, you know, they ask people on the street what homeopathy is. And then one guy says, homeopathy is when you touch yourself in weird places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's seriously misunderstood, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the school of homeopathy that your dad started, I mean, were you even born when he had started that? Um, yeah. Yeah, so he he basically studied in London. So mm-hmm. he was basically like a movie director before that. But he did a lot of editing and a bit of directing. And he was involved in filming of like the first Glastonbury Festival and stuff like that. So he basically, when he started his career, he just sort of walked down to Soho in London and asked for a job until he got one and then worked his way up in the film industry. He was a single parent of my oldest brother, Manny, at the time and so he couldn't really carry on working and then he got into like a homeopathy study group and in London at that time it was two druids one was the chief druid of uh, the UK Thomas Morn and he held a group in South London and then his his sort of colleague John de Monte held the group in North London and that's where my dad went and and learned learned a lot about um sort of psychology and homeopathy because John de Monte was a, he was kind of like a polymath, really. He had interests in lots of different areas, not just homeopathy. So mm-hmm. that was Misha's introduction. And then um, when John de Monte sadly passed away, Misha kind of just carried on running his group. Mm-hmm. And then they moved to Devon and he got an invitation to teach um, a group in Tiverton. And they was, I think they were um, doing like, maybe Chinese medicine or something like that. And they wanted some training in homeopathy. And then that grew to starting the school and they moved to the house where the school used to be run from when I was two. Oh, wow. Now you didn't go straight to homeopathy. You had a bit of a detour. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know what it's like when you're you're a teenager, you don't really think about what your parents do although we did have some like fantastic opportunities when I was 11 we went to New Zealand for like two months and my dad was teaching at that time so I, I basically was really into music and wanted to be a classical musician um, I was sort of quite set on that from a young age mm-hmm. and so I went to London to music college and explored that but even after one year I was pretty like disenchanted with it and ended up like transferring from like on the classical course playing the French horn to going to the basement and just doing electronic music because I just wasn't I wasn't feeling it Mm -hmm. Uh, but I finished that course and I got really into the electronic music scene and throughout my 20s was doing that and doing various things like chefing and massage therapy to sort Mm -hmm. of uh, support the kind of impoverished musicians lifestyle (laughs) 
Um, so you were a real then, musician. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but there came a point, I suppose, once I'd done a couple of different massage courses, I thought, right, what's next? I like w- working in this way. And mm-hmm. I wanted to sort of work in the healing arts and I was looking at acupuncture courses and because I was interested in the meridians and the mm-hmm. sort of element theory side of it. <clears throat> and then I thought, you know, I don't want to pay for another degree, which is, you know, the thing to do in the UK. Mm-hmm. And then I, I just stumbled across like an inter-homeopathy article when I was on the train one day and just sort of the, the like language and the information that came out of the kind of interview process. I was like, oh, yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. It's like so much deeper than anything mm-hmm. else. And so that kind of a light bulb went on and I thought, oh, mm-hmm. I'll contact Manny, start the course, which I did. Um, I started mm-hmm. as a home study student in 2012. Mm-hmm. And then basically I kind of lost momentum for like a year and a half. And then when I decided to pick it up again, I was like, right, just bite the bullet and start mm-hmm. the four year full mm-hmm. course. And then that was that. Was that. And now having a son yourself, I'm I'm sure that you're so glad that you know so much about homeopathy now because isn't it amazing for children? It's so empowering, hey, as yeah. a dad being able yeah. to treat your son yourself. Totally, yeah. totally. Actually, I think once I finished the course, like I really felt ready then to mm-hmm. become a parent, you know, knowing that you've got um, some experience to draw upon. Because homeopathy is like an empirical system we've recorded everything over 200 years and by empirical I mean it's about it's about what not why Mm -hmm. what happened and that's all recorded Mm -hmm. and then eventually that gets sort of distilled down to something that's quite reliable because so many people have commented and recorded their observations over a long period that we get these like archetypal pictures which certainly fit children so you see characteristics or certain types of um, flu or cold or fever and so we have really sort of precise indications to prescribe on for children so, absolutely and I yeah. know you've just gone through the whole sleeping regression and you've gone through some teething and everything yeah. else I'm sure your prescribing skills have had a good practice the, <laughs> the past year a good practice and, and also for <laughs> mum as well absolutely and uh, delivering yeah. baby yeah there was uh, there is definitely a story there yes. you're welcome to share so, if you like Sure, sure. There were a few things with the with the pregnancy when it came to Braxton Hicks. Mm. I came across like a, a rubric in Burroughs' repertory, which was irritable uterus, which we sort of figured out from reading and it's not, not something I'd ever knew about. But mm. it was a very small rubric and so you could just choose between maybe one of 12 different remedies and the one that really helped with that was Lilium tigrinum. Oh. really helped ease off the Braxton Hicks because they were just solid and quite a few weeks before um, he was due. Oh, so wow. that really helped to tone that down. And then we used its uh, mistletoe. I forget the the name of it, the Latin name now, but that helped to sort of um, bring on the contractions, which mm-hmm. took a while to get going. Mm-hmm. And then during the delivery itself, colophyllum, which mm. is a um, a very well known remedy for for delivery. That mm, you know, the tenor well. potency of that, yeah. it was just instant. And then the midwives were all like, "Oh wow, you know, yeah, look at that." <laughs> so, and it, and it avoided. It meant we avoided the synthetic hormone drip. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, which was which was great. And you yourself gave birth to a baby this year of the hardcover kind. <laughs> Can you <Yeah>. tell us? <laughs> You've got a copy there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what? it's and that cover is just brilliant. I didn't realize how thick it is. I've only seen it front on. I've never seen it side on. It's it's huge. Yeah. Can you it's please? Yeah. 
Yeah. Tell us um, a bit about how you came to that. And I mean, it sounds like you were destined to have this published. Tell us uh, your journey and tell us what it took and what's in it. Sure. Sure. Well, basically, having gone through the course, the school homeopathy four-year course, um, we have some amazing teachers, you know, Janet Snowden, David Mundy, my dad, Misha, well, he's retired now, um, Jeff Johnson, and, and others as well. Um, Bob Blair is an amazing teacher. So they've all kind of like synthesized a lot of information. And um, when it came to like the animal remedies, I just felt aware that I wanted to write that book for myself to make it easier to sort of distinguish between the different groups of animal remedies. Mm -hmm. And with the animals, it's so easy to study their life cycle, their habits, their nature. We have so many good documentaries now on animals. Mm -hmm. There's a lot you can draw upon. And I also love mythology. So I've kind of brought that in to it. And I think that having something else that goes alongside homeopathy that kind of contributes to your understanding of it something like mythology another archetypal system i think that really helps to mm-hmm. add some sort of depth to the understanding and peter fraser's the other person who's a massive influence for this book and i love his he's books written a lot of small books mm, yeah i've got i've got all yeah. of the small books i love it um yeah now because this podcast is more for the general public and your book uh Animalia, yes. is more for practitioners mm-hmm. right so, so, yeah. so can you, for the general public, just tantalize their taste buds a little bit with, with the an, animal remedies, yeah. the homeopathic remedies we may have that's made mm. from animal substances, maybe what some of the themes are and some of your favorite animal mm. remedies and why we might prescribe them, just to kind of, mm. um, you know, open the world of homeopathy up to them a little bit. Yeah, yeah, of course. I think uh, tarantula is one remedy that, you know, you just wouldn't want to be without. And it's been in the homeopathic medicine. Materia Medica for a long time. And it's so useful for like hyperactive children, essentially. So there's elements of mischievousness, quite defiant behavior, and sort of like wrapping the whole family around their little finger. So they kind of create like a web of intrigue, um, like the spider's web, and they're at the center of it and sort of in control. And it's a spidery quality to any sort of slight movement on their web, and they can feel it. And they really are colorful people. And imaginative and creative very often create a lot of trouble for their family members. Um, so it's one remedy I've used um, quite a lot. I mean, my, my clinical practice is, is, you know, only a few years old, but already tarantula, like I wouldn't want to be mm. without it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had an eight-year-old boy that, and he was playing like ACDC and Def oh. Leppard and all that. It was all he wanted to do was play all this hard rock like music on his guitar. Right. And he did so well on tarantula. So when you said that now, I was like, oh yeah, yeah I have a good tarantula case too. Sorry, please oh, continue. Yeah. 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 Big, yeah. Music's a big theme for the spiders. And you mm-hmm. can see when you watch documentaries that, you know, they have these like dancing mating rituals, don't they? Mm-hmm. And the tarantula has a kind of whole mythology of the tarantella dance that um, women, I think they were kind of suppressed by Catholicism. And so there was this sort of myth perpetuated that every year, you know, those that had been bitten by a tarantula had to do this dance, this expressive kind of sensual dance that would like, but actually Mm -hmm. I think it was just about breaking free from suppression. And that's a kind of spider quality really, Mm -hmm. especially tarantula. Mm -hmm. Any others? What, What others have you got in your book? Well, there's, um, so basically it's got spiders, insects, snakes, sea animals, mammals, and birds, essentially. Those are the kind of six main groups that we use in homeopathy. And the animals aren't harmed to 
creating the remedies usually it just takes like with the mammals often it's uh, the milk or the hair and with a bird it will just be the feather so anything that has the dna of the animal a very different kind of animal that we did approving of at the school a couple of years ago is the two-toed sloth so it's a very different picture to tarantula and we got the sample from my brother who lives in costa rica and his friend, who's a vet, there was a sloth who got electrocuted. And this happens oh. quite a lot there. And then they look after them and then put them back in the wild. But they're obviously a much, much more slower paced kind of individual. Mm. And there was one breeder who got profoundly affected by it. It brought on, you know, so provings have a, have a deep effect on you if you're sensitive to that substance. Mm. Otherwise, they're usually quite subtle. But mm. this person, it kind of brought back. Uh, you know, if you have like certain tendencies, like she had a tendency to depression, it really brought it back. And this feeling of um, self-loathing, which can be quite prominent in animal remedies. And in the mammal remedies, the social group is really important. And, you know, for people who feel like they're being judged um, all the time or criticized or put down by others, that can be an indication for potentially like a mammal remedy. Mm-hmm. And with the sloth, it's very sort of sluggish and lethargic and maybe they feel like they smell bad or, Mm -hmm. yeah, that others are judging them harshly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the kind of polarity point to it is to speak up for others who are in that position. Mm -hmm. And you might see somebody like that. It's a very new remedy. And we were lucky that two homeopaths in our sort of network had actually prescribed it recently. So at the time the proving came out, there were two people who had sloth cases and they were published in the hemipaths journal in the uk wow so that was really interesting yeah can, can you quickly give our listeners a rundown on what approving is because i don't think we've covered that in any yeah. of our episodes and because it's for the general public they probably won't know yeah well basically it leads on to hahnemann because he is the person who invented approving and he kind of did it by chance really he um he was working in the UK as a translator for like medical texts because he got so disenchanted with working as a medic at the time. Basically, they were doing things like giving mercury, bloodletting, using leeches. Mm. It was a pretty barbaric trade. And then he came across this text that said cinchona bark was good for treating malaria because it's astringent. And he was like, well, there's loads of things that are astringent. That's probably not a very, you know, good reason. So he started just taking it. He took, you know, the point of a knife of like raw cinchona bark Mm -hmm. uh, daily and started to record the effects. And that is approving, basically. So when you take something like that in its crude form, you'll get sort of toxicological effects if it's medicinally active. And so he recorded the effects and they were basically like the same as malaria. Mm. And as soon as he stopped taking it, well, eventually those symptoms went away. That's a very brave thing to do. And these days in homeopathy, we don't do that Mm -hmm. because it's quite taxing on your physical body. So, um, you know, so that sort of led him to his discovery of homeopathy and the principle of like cures like or that a similar something that creates symptoms in a healthy body can cure those symptoms when someone's diseased. And so approving is essentially a kind of drug trial, but it's Mm -hmm. different in the sense that it's very subjective. So Mm -hmm. it's like normally you have a cohort of different human beings at different stages of life, ideally in fairly good health. And they keep a diary and they just, they have to be very good at observing themselves and their bodies and their symptoms. And you write a note of what happens 
And typically today we will take a potentized version of a substance. The people taking part don't know what it is. And they're asked to keep up a diary for usually about a month. And they have a supervisor who works with them to help draw out their symptoms. Mm -hmm. And they sort of have to know the kind of baseline state of that person. So typically it's homeopathy students who who undertake provings these days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they have to have a pretty good understanding of themselves first. And then, you know, when things change and symptoms, maybe they're used to having a headache on the left and it moves to the other side or Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. That's amazing. I think Samuel Hahnemann proved 120 remedies on himself from memory. That was quite a lot. And he also lived to 88 years old. He passed away around 1840-ish or something like that, but he was 88 when he died, which I think was really good age for those times. Pretty amazing. Really good age. Yeah. Yeah. And he had a lot of children as well. Yeah. It it wasn't like 12 or something something like that. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe it was, 11 or 12, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and your path then um, has now gone to the role of actually teaching at the School of Homeopathy, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. And when yes. did you start? Was it like this year? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I started, <laughs> um, no, I started last year, actually. Last year. I actually have several of my clients who are interested in studying homeopathy. A couple of them are already studying with the School of Homeopathy, and um, they've just yeah. given such great feedback of the wonderful support they get and the great content. But um, for those yeah. listeners um, interested in maybe studying homeopathy or wondering what you can study when you're going down this path, what sort of things are you teaching mm. and, and what can people look forward to studying mm. with you? Good question. Basically, the School of Homeopathy was started by Misha, and he's always had like an interest in the psychological aspects of homeopathy and the spiritual aspects of homeopathy. Mm-hmm. So there's so it's quite a sort of probing kind of course and the content and the and the sort of discussions that you have at a philosophical level run quite deep. Uh, so as well as learning about homeopathy, often it's quite a you know it's a journey of personal discovery and a kind of questioning of what is what's become very inherent in Western material sort of society and values. It's a real questioning of that that's set up by Hahnemann himself when you go and look at the first aphorisms from the Organon and he's um, talking about vitalistic principles where there's a spirit, spirit spirit-like force in the body and that animates all living beings. And so, yeah, you'll definitely be questioning yourself and the world around you, but also you'll be learning about all the different remedies and the approaches and you start with a good foundation of homeopathy before you go into learning the repertory which is a kind of massive book of symptoms and then yes you'll be by the time you get to year three you'll be having your own cases seeing real people and you'll have supervision in that process and pretty much everyone We'll go to a summer school as well to get like live, you see a homeopath working mm-hmm. live as well. So even if you're doing the home study course, there's still, it's an amazing way of connecting you in to our network, which is really big. And mm-hmm. I mostly teach year one on the attendance course. So introduction to Hahnemann and the basic principles and the repertory and Materia Medica of the kind of archetypal remedies like sulfur, calcarea, mm-hmm. carbonica, silica, like a podium. So mm-hmm. the remedies that you'll read about in um, sort of introductory books to homeopathy mm-hmm. as well. 
I was going to say, I'm sure you are the one that teaches repertory at your school because I do not know a person that knows the repertory better than you do. And you have helped me so many times over the past couple of years when I'm stuck. Where I've got this client's really odd symptom. How am I going to turn this into homeopathic speak to find which remedy suits mm. that? And you've always been able to help. And I see how many other hundreds of other homeopaths around the world you help when they get stuck as well. So maybe you can tell our listeners what a repertory is and what we use it for. And why are you so good at it? And how did you get to be so good? Because I would love to <laughs> upgrade my skills on that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, it's, it's interesting because when Hahnemann started, he didn't have a repertory. Mm. If we were to work in the way he did now, it would be much, so much harder. Basically, he had long lists of subjective symptoms for each remedy. And he had mm. to sort of match what a person was saying with his understanding and knowledge and probably memory of mm -hmm. what symptoms were most kind of prominent in each remedy. So now um, there were a few homeopaths who developed repertories and James Tyler Kent, an American homeopath, he was the main one who's influenced everybody else today. And it's, it's a kind of symptom index, um, mm -hmm. which has a structure, a hierarchical structure that starts with the mind and moves through the different regions of the body, ending with the generalities, which are the systems that affect the whole body, things like the endocrine system, the nervous system. And basically, um, you, you need to learn the way that it works. And mm -hmm. in the mind section, you'd have a phenomena such as fear. And then you'd, you'd go to the page that has all the fears. And then you'd look down at the different sub rubrics underneath fear. So you'd look for something more specific, mm -hmm. like fear of spiders or fear of heights or something like that. And mm -hmm. so you have to get used to talking a bit like Yoda because you, you sort of go in reverse order almost. You have to start with the most important word and then the rest of the sentence kind mm -hmm. of follows on. So there's a rubric forsaken feeling, uh, which means loneliness, mm -hmm. essentially. So you kind of have to like get into an old style of language, Victorian English that was used in America at the time. Mm -hmm. And these days underneath forsaken feeling as a like sub rubric is isolation sensation of. So mm -hmm. actually you would read it as forsaken feeling sensation of isolation. Very long winded, isn't it? But it's a really important symptom today. And not least since lockdown measures, Absolutely. a lot of people are in that space and a lot more remedies have been added recently to that particular symptom or rubric is the homeopathic word that we use in the repertories. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you have to get used to speaking like Yoda and you have to be sort of a bit of a geek. It's an interesting thing because it's a scientific type document, um, very ordered, very systematic, mm -hmm. but it's also incredibly like random and subjective. And that just reflects what human beings are. You know, we're not really logical and precise. We're, we're random and uh, chaotic and everyone's different. And that's the sort of beauty of homeopathy it accepts mm -hmm. that we're all different. We will have an individual way of coping with illness. And that's reflected in our repertories and in our, all of our texts. Um, mm. Absolutely. Yeah. People always say, oh, you know, I've, I've got to sound really silly saying this, or I don't know if I should say this or things like that. And I always say, there's nothing you can tell me that is is too weird or that will be shocking because our repertory has some amazing symptoms in it. And my favorite is feels that he's been commanded by a mushroom to fall on a sword and kill himself. So I always say if somebody walks in my <laughs> clinic and say, look, this sounds really weird, but every time I open the fridge drawer and I see a mushroom, I feel like it wants me to fall on a sword and kill myself. So I'm still waiting for a client to come in and tell me that because the remedy agaricus is really good for that. I say this to my clients because I don't, I want them to know that it doesn't matter what they say to me. It's not going to sound weird. 
So what mm. are some funny or some interesting rubrics that you have seen? Oh, putting me on the spot now. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's something about um, delusion studies, you know, that he's high up and he's mm -hmm. looking down upon a cesspool of ignorance and vulgarity. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is, uh, yeah, as someone who puts them, holds themselves up on a pedestal mm -hmm. and is sort of looking and looking at society and questioning and um, it's a really interesting rubric and it's a rubric made from a, a remedy that's basically fire. The person who, uh, it was Nula Icing, an Irish homeopath, who introduced this remedy mm -hmm. and basically she got like a, a glass of alcohol and set it alight and let it burn down to just the residue and then produce the remedy for the alcohol that had been burnt. And wow. uh, so it's like trying to capture fire, the essence of fire. And there were a lot of like religious, spiritual aspects to that remedy, but also this like, yeah, this sort of burning fire and intensity about it. And uh, I have actually prescribed it once and it was for somebody who, um, had lost their father during the pandemic and mm -hmm. wasn't able to grieve for him, wasn't able to see him. And it brought yeah. back a psychotic episode. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he was very convinced of being like, he was being watched, like he'd had things inserted into him, like uh, the big brother sort mm -hmm. of thing, like you're being watched, like yeah. you're being, um, I can't remember the word now. Yeah. But, surveillance. Um, surveillance, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and it felt like this fire energy within him was kind of raging out of control. Oh. So fire in terms of like the elements is something that embodies your spiritual path mm. because uh, fire is, is something that we, we worshipped when human civilization was very young from since forever, we've worshipped the sun mm. and fire and it's this quality of heat and light and sort of purpose. And mm. this was all kind of out of control for this particular person at that time. And so the remedy certainly helped him. He was sectioned for some time, but a very short period of time con mm -hmm. compared to other times when he had the episodes. And, so uh, interesting. Yeah. I've never even heard of that remedy. I feel like I've learned about a new remedy in every episode, but that one sounds really fascinating. Yeah. That's also what I love about homeopathy is it's so multidimensional. So like you were saying with the mythology before, to understand hmm. some remedies, you really need to know a little bit about mythology and about various folklore and where the substances derive from and what the substance is like in its natural environment and all that sort of stuff. So it's mm. really amazing. It's just yeah. never, never ending. The learning never ends. Eh? Yeah, you um, get to study the whole natural kingdom, which is yeah. fantastic. Now, do we still have time for you to share like a little bit about the philosophy of homeopathy? I know we're on time constraints, which is my fault, but anything about the philosophical side of homeopathy that you can share with our listeners in a couple of minutes? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, so the you know homeopathy is really one of the main principles is like just like, but it's you know, not actually a new principle. And whilst it might seem counterintuitive to lots of us, it's, you know, it's also well established in conventional medicine. So Ritalin's used to treat ADHD mm -hmm. and uh, Ritalin is basically like speed or very similar to, to speed. So, you know, in a healthy person, it would really put you on hyperdrive, but because the person with ADHD is already there, Ritalin is used and it helps to bring that back into balance. 
So in homeopathy, you know, when you're unwell, the homeopath sees the body is producing a set of symptoms. And these aren't the disease itself, but it's the body's best attempt to bring you back to a state of balance. And being in balance is, is called homeostasis. So your body's doing it all the time without you realizing it. And these are called autonomic processes. They're just going on in the background. So when you actually think about what our bodies are doing all the time, just to, just for us to go about our day, it's quite incredible that things don't go wrong more often. And like his like was, um, it's been ascribed to Empedocles and later to Hippocrates, who's obviously the author of the Hippocratic Oath. And he stated that there are two ways to treat disease. One is by similars and one is by opposites. So when you treat with the like yours like principle, the aim is to improve your overall health by, you know, accepting that your body has a design brief, which is to, which is self-healing. Essentially, it, it knows what to do in a lot of cases to heal itself. Um, whereas the, you know, using something that is, has an opposite effect, it's taking over what your body should be doing and doing it by itself. Mm. So it has a sort of chemical action and it takes over and and that essentially masks the symptoms for a time and then you come back and you take more of the medicine perhaps a stronger dose and then quite often you get side effects now side effects is a funny term because there's the body has no way of like delineating what is a symptom and what is a side effect they're just more symptoms essentially okay. you know basically it can get you out of a sticky situation in the short term but in the, in the long term you're just imposing what Hahnemann calls a medicinal disease, which nowadays is called iatrogenesis. And that's where the medicine is so powerful that it's making the body produce more symptoms, mm -hmm. i.e. side effects. So, you know, what happens with homeopathy? Basically, it seems like when you take the, um, so ev everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of people have taken Arnica when they have um, a bruise or Apis when they've been stung by an insect. Apis is bee venom, by the way. So when there's like hot swelling, you can take Apis in potency and that helps the body to express the symptoms more effectively. So sometimes you get a little intensification of your symptoms and then you get a resolution rather than just being stuck in that symptom pattern. It basically, by uh, having taking homeopathy, it gives the body a chance to sort of fully express the symptoms that it's been struggling with. And remember, the symptoms aren't the disease, they're the expression of the body trying mm. to heal itself. Mm. And because the remedies prescribed, you know, especially in like chronic treatment, um, the remedies prescribed based on your individuality. So that means you don't necessarily need a large dose. And in fact, because the remedies are often, they would be poisonous in a large dose. That's really not advisable. So you can see a similar phenomena working with um, allergies. If someone has a peanut allergy, they're very susceptible to peanuts. So only a trace amount could even be just the smell could trigger anaphylaxis. Yeah. So that's susceptibility. So a large dose, like we have in conventional drug therapy, it works by just removing, or does it remove symptoms? It provides quick and temporary relief. Mm. And when its action has ended, as I said, you, you have to take larger doses. So you get short-term gains. Mm -hmm. With uh, the similar remedy, you're, you're very sensitive to it. You're highly sensitized. And that's why you don't need such a strong dose. In fact, you only need a small dose. Mm -hmm. 
And we can also compare the two systems. And when you look at the two side by side, you can, uh, it's an interesting, I probably don't have time to actually look at them both, but essentially the, if we look at the main differences uh, between conventional medicine and homeopathy, in conventional medicine, the drug does the work, not the body. Mm-hmm. Whereas in homeopathy, the body is stimulated to act by itself. So it supports what your body wants to be doing. Conventional medicine is actually really expensive. It's only in the UK, we have the NHS, so it's all subsidized and you don't mm-hmm. really have to pay. But it's very reliant on modern technology and pharmaceuticals, which have an impact on the environment, which is mm-hmm. pretty negative. Homeopathy is very cheap. It's you know popular in Cuba where they treated an outbreak of leptospirosis with homeopathy because they can't afford pharmaceuticals and India is pretty similar. So they'll use homeopathy a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, conventional medicine is very objective. It's, it's fact-based. It's like, you've got this, we've made this diagnosis, you need this medicine. Homeopathy is much more subjective. It's like, you got this, um, you had this set of experiences which led to this sort of downturn in health and you experience it in this way. And mm-hmm. the homeopaths train to draw out all of the unique qualities um, that characterize your way of mm-hmm. experiencing your disease. So in this way, even just the consultation process is quite transformative because someone's just there listening to you in a really unprejudiced manner, helping mm-hmm. draw out your, your story and your version of events and not questioning it, not trying to fit you into a box to say, this is your diagnosis etc that's that's not really relevant so you know massively different and it's mm. also very holistic it accepts that the mind and body are connected and are actually one rather than being reductionist it's saying no it's just your liver that's diseased it needs this drug and then you'll be fine mm-hmm. which is if we actually stop and think about it it's kind of bonkers isn't it say it's only the liver you you live in a body which is a whole system and everything has you know interplays with one another absolutely um if we just i know we're running short of time but another interesting way to look at it is to think um it's quite easy to think of something that's similar to something else like if i were to ask you what's similar to a lemon you could say citrus fruits things that things that are acidic Mm -hmm. uh, etc but what's opposite of a lemon it could be like a desk or or anything couldn't it (laughs) Yeah, it could yeah. be anything. It's much harder <laughs> to, to think of an opposite. So basically, Absolutely. you know, individualizing is a really key word as well. Mm-hmm. Individualized treatment is one of the things that I think really characterizes homeopathy. There, mm-hmm. there aren't many other sort of disciplines that really go to that same level of trying to understand like who you are and, and mm-hmm. why it was that you became sick. And Hahnemann, again, was like one of the first people to actually explore the concept of chronic disease. You know, he was able to see that people who had acute disease bounced back quickly after treatment. People with chronic disease just kept getting sick. Mm-hmm. And there aren't many other systems that really are looking to find a solution to chronic ill health. So mm-hmm. I think that's why a lot of people try everything else and then try homeopathy eventually. <laughs> I've never heard that TEETH acronym before. I'm so using that one. <laughs> so, Luke, where can people get hold of you and find out more about what you do? And for the homeopaths out there, how can they purchase your book? Sure. My email's info at lukenorland.co.uk. Very easy. So yeah, please do email if you want to get in touch. The book you can buy from Saltire, the publishers, or from Amazon. 
And there are a couple of other, I think it's mostly UK booksellers at the moment that, that have it. Mm-hmm. But yes, Saltire is S-A-L-T-I-R-E. We'll definitely link that in the notes publishers. as well. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was amazing that they gave me the chance as a sort of first time author to to work with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met them a few times when I was working with Radar Opus in uh, mm-hmm. various conferences. And they're also a family business based oh, up in Glasgow. Well. And really nice, really nice folks. So mm-hmm. I'm super happy to work with them. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I'm um, looking forward to chatting again sometime soon. Lovely. And thanks for putting this all together and making all these wonderful podcasts. It's such a pleasure. Enjoy. Thank you.